Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my co-host, Coles. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, my friend. It's nice to see you. Nice to be recording this week on a few films. Haven't but did we get together last week? We did get together last week, man. I went yes. on vacation and my whole timeline is completely out of whack. I spent like five <laughs> days just doing nothing but enjoying myself. And now I have to get back to the real world. And it's like, oh my gosh, responsibilities. Yuck. Mm-hmm. Well, here on FF Plus, our format's pretty straightforward. If you're new, we'll start by talking about what we liked about each movie because we are fans of positivity around here. Then we'll transition, we'll be sure to mention anything that we didn't like, and we will eventually give you a recommendation about whether we think a movie is worth your time and money. That's it. It's simple, it's short, and it's spoiler-free. With that out of the way, we will jump right on in to the first film on today's list, and that is Last Night in Soho. Starring Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Terrence Stamp, Diana Rigg, Sinov Carlson and Michael Ajow. It is directed by Edgar Wright and it is written by Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns. What's it about? An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Okay, so, Coles, I am going to preface all of this with a couple things. One, let's be careful, because there are some twists and turns in this movie that people may or may not see coming. I know I was surprised by some things, and that would be on my likes list. I rather enjoyed being surprised, so I don't want to give away details. We're going to talk around some things here as much as we can, folks, uh, but that is for your benefit. Now, I also want to say this. So I was not going to go to this movie. This is when I found out it was leaning toward a horror film because other people watched the trailer and told me that I became less interested in it. I thought we were just getting a cool artsy stylistic movie with these two actresses in it. And I was all about that because I'm like, all right, that sounds cool. But then you started telling me it was going to go into like psychological horror. And I was like, "Uh oh, that might not be good for me. But I decided to give it a shot anyway, and I'm very glad I did. I want to start with you, though, because you have been excited about this, like, massively. This was one of your most anticipated films of the year, so I'm hoping that it worked for you, and I wanted you to tell us what you liked about it. More than work for me, this was one of the best films of the year so far for me. Edgar Wright, he's a guy that always bats, since the World Series is on right now, he bats a thousand for me. I've... I have yet to see a film from him that has left me disappointed and has not left me intrigued. His films are intriguing just by the way he's able to use quick edits, the way he's able to use music, able to use production design, just able to use a kind of like whip fast pacing. But this one's kind of more of like not a slow burn, but kind of um, very taunt and very kind of simmering with the way that it moves. But the way he's able to bring together technical aspects of a film along with smart storytelling you know, he gets an assist with um, Christy, who also did work on 1917, I believe, with Sam Mendes. And they both combine together to create a screenplay that is not only a film that 
is perfectly set for the times of the Me Too movement, but also a psychological thriller. I got a lot of shiny vibes from this, I can say. Uh, we go from the beginning of this film to being very hopeful, very cheery, kind of innocent. And there's a reason that the casting of Thomas McKazian and Anna Taylor-Joy works so well as a duo is because they're both polar opposites in what they bring to the film. Thomason, Thomason is more like a girl. She's very innocent. You know, she's kind of wet behind the ears. She doesn't know what big city life is all about. And then when you see Anna Taylor-Joy, she's like almost the alter ego of Thomason's character. She's all about the life. She has talents. She's beautiful, and I'm not saying that Thomason is a beautiful, but she's like starlet beautiful in a sense. She's got a sex appeal, and Thomason's very girl next door, very, you know, mm -hmm. like, and that's intentional. I agree with you. Yeah, so they both bounce off each other very well, and what turns into something that's almost like an ode to the 1960s, and it is, just based on the music selection, which Edgar Wright, he always gets his playlist right for each film. That's one thing you never have to worry about, is getting a boring soundtrack from Edgar Wright. They're always are going to hit, no matter the decade, no matter the style of music. We go from a celebration of the 60s and everything, and love, peace, and happiness, and then things turn really dark. And I think it's meant to be that way. I mean, there's almost a sense of the story telling us that we almost, we often mythologize Mythologize, um, hopefully I'm saying that right. We often paint Mythologize? the past. Yes, yeah. yes. We often paint the past with gold with a golden paintbrush. Like everything was was so good back then and it's not anything like it is now. Everything's gotten worse. Each generation has messed up the world, but this film kinda tells you that no, um, bad things were happening during this time period time too. History isn't all that innocent. There were a lot of bad things that were swept under the rug that were kept secret you know, they are now being unearthed and brought to, you know, a lot of eyes. And I think that speaks to how this film works when it when it comes to women empowerment and how women have to, like, walk around, like, always fearing the male, male gaze and always fearing that someone's trying to use them for something, you know, use them for their looks, use them for their talent, use them for sex, use them for just pleasure and not seeing them as independent, you know, not them having independent agency not them having dreams and aspirations and wanting to do more than to just be a object to be glanced at and this film the, the way that the commentary is used to speak about those things is not preachy it's not hard-handed it's not in your face it's very subtle and it's given the veneer of horror you know to make it even more impactful it's, it's a phenomenal film, and I can just shower more gaze upon it. We could have a whole full episode about it if we wanted to. This film is brilliant, and I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. Mostly, yes. I think <laughs> I do. I will say this. So the first hour of this movie was among the best, quote, movies that I've seen all year. I thought the setup for this, before it kind of really goes into the horror side of the film was outstanding just i was completely as enthralled and in it as engrossed as i have been all year in any picture i mean i i just it's amazing the music as you mentioned is perfect the style he nails both from a costuming standpoint a production design standpoint and just the way his camera moves the way it captures thomason as she is discovering this alter ego of Anya Taylor-Joy like you described. There's a very ethereal nature to the story at that point. It's very dreamlike. And as you mentioned, it's all about like B 
being in love with nostalgia, right? And she's kind of captivated by the idea of being in the past. She's the person who she loves vintage, right? Everything's vintage design. That's what she's going to college for. And people make fun of her that for that because she can't get past, quote, the past. And there are reasons for that, I think, that go beyond just a, you know, a general interest. There's a backstory of trauma that has to do with her mom that really, I think, helped make the movie a little more mysterious for me because when the when the reveals for the plot start happening and it starts telling you what's really going on i thought we were going in a different direction because of the way that thomason's character is presented to us right from the start she's kind of got this grief that she has not been able to get rid of she sort of sees her mom places and so then when she starts seeing someone else somewhere like you really start to wonder about her mental health and the movie plays with that in a really intriguing way i think to make you unsure and uncertain of what's going to happen and, and and unsure of like is this reality is this not reality is it you know and and i loved that part of it the other things that i really liked were there's a character in there and god bless him man it, he was not in any of the IMDb page like lists. His name is Michael Ajow. I mentioned him. He plays a character named John. And he is this fellow student at the school that Thomas and McKenzie's character Eloise goes to in London. This, I guess, design school. And he's amazing. Like I loved him. He was my favorite part of the movie outside of the two stars. I, I just thought he was so great. He's like... A character who presents like this alternative to the way that other men are presented in the film in a way that I really appreciated because he's caring, he's thoughtful, he's genuinely sweet, he's gentle. Uh, and he, I just thought he brings like a really nice low-key humor to the movie and, and he was just someone I wanted to succeed. Like I think I wanted more for his story to be successful and to be positive in the end than anybody else in the movie, even the two girls. Like, I just loved him so much. So I, I want to heap praise on Michael Ajow because he was like my favorite part of the movie. Uh, I also think that just from a visual standpoint, the way this movie looks, it, it will never bore you. Even if you have issues like I kind of do with some of the plot choices and some of the way the presentation is done is maybe not my favorite, but I couldn't look away. Like I was just glued to the screen. My eye, you know, it's Edgar Wright. It's this ability to present. It's so glossy and shiny. And you mentioned the editing. I love the editing as well. And, and I think that for me, the star of the show, Thomas and McKenzie, I was a little annoyed, honestly, that the marketing seemed to present this as an Anya Taylor-Joy movie more so than a Thomas and McKenzie movie. And I understand it because Anya Taylor-Joy is a bigger star. Like, she's got the bigger name. She did Queen's Gambit. So casual audiences who have Netflix now know who she is outside of, you know, people like us who knew her from The Witch and then other things that she's done. But Thomas and McKenzie is phenomenal. I think she blows this film out of the water. Anya Taylor-Joy 
doesn't have nearly the kind of part to play, um, the difficult part to play that Thomas and McKenzie does. She goes through such a range of emotions and so much. I, I just, I came away from this man going, I already knew you were a star from the day I saw you in your first, like, I think she was in Leave No Trace. And she's been in a couple other like indie pictures that I really enjoyed. But this was it. This sold the deal for me. Like these two actresses, you will be hearing their name for the next decade plus. Like this is your Brie Larson, you know, before she became Brie Larson and to everybody else in the world. Like keep your eye on these two ladies. They are absolutely phenomenal. And this movie's worth going to see if you'd like good acting just for that alone. So yeah, I... I really, really loved it, and it's it's stayed with me, and I, and I wanted to get a chance to go out and see it again. I don't think I'm going to get to, um, but I hope I hope it comes to streaming soon because I want to see it. I'll, real quick, I'll say what I didn't like, and then I'll let you piggyback off me. The back half, we kind of go in a whole different direction, and this is the part where it's difficult to talk about the movie because I can't explain. I actually can't distinctly express one of my big, big problems with the movie because it is about a character and that character's decision-making at the very end of the film. And it makes me call into question the message that I think the movie wants us to take away from it. And I can't express any of this. So just know that you may, may or may not walk away from this with a little bit of question mark about how it's presented. It didn't ruin it by any means. I think that it could have been better, could have been a little tighter, just a little bit there. Other than that, some of the horror design, again, visually interesting, but I legitimately chuckled at some of the exaggeration in the film at times. Some of the performances are so over the top and some of the horror is so in your face in a way that is just 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 completely out of nowhere. Like the movie, the movie's like going along at like a three or a four and all of a sudden it's like, Here's an 11, <laughs> and some of it was like genuinely baffling to me, just made me laugh. And I, and I wondered if that was maybe even on purpose, like Edgar didn't want us to fully be scared as much as started to be in this weird place of laughter and fear at the same time. I didn't hate it. It just was very distinctively like it stood out to me in a way that was not as well paced and just kind of it didn't flow perfectly for me from start to finish but mostly i mean i loved it i it was it was kind of like nitpicks for me overall i think it's really outstanding and i love seeing him get outside of the things that he's done before where he's you know done comedy he's done things like baby driver you know things like scott pilgrim just his style is there, but for it to be in this meaningful story about real world issues that still exist today with the way women are treated in a psychological horror film, I thought he just showed like how talented he is overall. But was there, was there anything that stuck out to you that you didn't particularly like? I support your feelings about the latter half as well. There's a point when you get to the ending where you understand what's going on and where the film is going to end in its climax, but then you kind of go back to the beginning and the middle half and like, okay, this film was trying to tell me one thing, and now the film is telling me this whole different thing, and like the two messages are kind of colliding, and 
it, it's not really a consensus idea of what the film wants you to believe and wants you to feel about these characters. Maybe in a sense it's trying to make it ambiguous and and make you have those ethical dilemmas about how you feel about what happens. But it it's a pivot turn that in a sense is battling against itself and that was the only thing I had noticed. But I would be remiss to to say that honestly it, it's not that big of an issue. I mean this is a film that's going to that's going to be on my mind a lot, and I'm hoping I'm hoping to try to get a rewatch with it. But if I don't, as soon as it comes out on, you know, 4K physical media, I'm definitely adding it to the collection. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I will be too. I I'm excited. I I can't. I hate that it's not even out in theaters yet, and I'm like ready for it to hurry up and get over with so that I can like own it and watch it more at my leisure. That's very selfish of me. But with that being said, it does come out on October the 29th, which is really cool. It's coming out Halloween weekend. It's a psychological horror movie. I think it's perfect, perfect, perfect timing. And I highly recommend the theater viewing. I think it's worth going to see with a crowd. I think. It's kind of got that that little bit of shock value to it that would make it extra fun in a big crowd. So if you want to go opening weekend, Halloween weekend, like I mentioned, like late at night or something, you're probably going to have a blast, I think, with that theater experience. So I'm I'm an all in. Absolutely. Go see this movie theater yourself. I'm all in as well. Definitely go to the theater. Take friends with you. Take a date. It's incredible film. All right. Well, that's one big Two thumbs up from us. Next up, for the next two films we have to talk about, or I guess film and TV series, actually, we didn't both get to these, so you're going to get one opinion instead of two. The first one we have to share with you is on the movie Eternals, the next MCU film. It stars Jimma Chan, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Liam McHugh, Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keegan, Don Lee, Harish Patel, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. It is directed by Chloe Zhao of Nomadland fame, last year's Oscars. It is written by Chloe, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo. What's it about? The Eternals, a race of immortal beings with superhuman powers who have secretly lived on Earth for thousands of years, reunite to battle the evil deviants. Okay, well, there we have it. Kales, uh, I'm going to throw this kind of out to you and just let you run with it, your likes, your dislikes, your recommendation. I do, I, I, will, I will probably jump in with some questions here and there, but just go ahead and fire away, man. From the opening moments of this film, you're already put into a different mindset and a different kind of experience when it comes to the MCU. There are a lot of things that connect this film with uh, with other films from the cinematic universe. There's the comic relief, there's the action sequences, there's the mention of past heroes. I mean, you get a mention of Thanos and the events of Endgame and Infinity War, of course, and then you get all these connections to characters we've seen beforehand. But what's different about this film is the way that Chloe is able to bring her sense of capturing a world. If you've seen Nomad Lad, if you've seen The Writer, if you've seen any of her previous films, you know that she has an eye for capturing the wilderness, for capturing nature, for landscapes. And the use of the wide-angle lens in this film 
it, it's visually stunning. Uh, this is a film that was filmed specifically with IMAX in mind. And at my screening, sadly, we were not able to watch it at IMAX. But I was just drooling thinking about the aspect of seeing this again in IMAX because it looks epic. It feels almost like a biblical epic, like a Ten Commandments, and not because of the theme and not because of the characters involved, but just the scope of it. It it is it, really serious and it has like a kind of dark tone to it but it doesn't look too muted to feel lifeless it is very lively especially when it comes to the visuals i i love the costume design when the eternals are able to change into their outfits the sequences where we're seeing their powers in full display it all looks beautiful and the big onus of this film that's probably going to divide people who are who watch these films and are not used to it the character drama takes the biggest importance of this film there are action sequences and they are widely stylized and they they feel really good. I mean, they're definitely better than what we saw earlier in the in the year with Black Widow. But the moments that are really going to capture people are the moments between characters. We see the Eternals and we deal and we deal with them since the beginning of time. They've been since the dawn of man, and they're on the world and they're here for one purpose, which is to protect the world from deviants, which are these scary looking alien creatures that can suck that can suck the life out of you so their purpose is not to interfere with anything involving human nature if there, when there was wars when there was genocide when there was natural disasters happening with humans they were not allowed to intervene and the big question which was a meme for a little bit was why weren't the internals there when thanos snapped the whole world and a half a billion people in Pretty much half of the world's population lost their life. Well, they explain to you in the film why they were not, why they couldn't do it. And it makes sense because they are pretty much robots. They're pretty much robots who were created and sent to Earth to do a purpose. And they deal with these moral questions. You know, there are scenes where we see that people, that humans, they're in war. And a character asks, well, couldn't we just control them? Couldn't we just be able to stop them and have the world constantly in peace but then a character comes and says no because then humans would not be able to evolve they wouldn't be able to have these magic breakthroughs because whenever in human history a disaster has happened something a breakthrough or some kind of technology has come from that that has made life better for everybody on the planet so the film teaches you that for for time for this world there has to be sacrifice there has to be bad times there has to be terrible things that happen in order for the best of humanity to come through. And it's something that's hard to really deal with when you think about it and realize about all the terrible things that happen that we see on a daily basis. But when you step back and look at the themes of this story, it shows you that this is just a part of life. And it's not just about, you know, monsters versus superheroes. It's about human existence. It's about you know, immortality versus being a human. There is a character in this film that is made of eternal, but she's bored with it. She doesn't want to be eternal. She wants to be someone who could be able, she's in, she's pretty much an adult made in the body of a kid. Like it's much easier to see when you watch it, but she wants to be, she wants to be able to grow up. She wants to be able to like go to school, have friends. She wants to be able to understand what it's like to fall in love, but she's not able to because she's trapped in this body forever eternally and that's another big struggle that is on display throughout the whole film so chloe 
does do something different for the MCU, I feel. I feel that she is able to make this more than just a superhero film. It's all about these superheroes dealing with how dealing with their place in the world and dealing with seeing this tragedy and also dealing with trying to stop someone destroying the world. A world that's not even theirs. The Eternals are not from planet Earth. They're from a different planet in the galaxy. Pretty much once they once they do kill all the deviants in the world, they're able to go back to their planet. But it's not that simple. And they show that in the film that, yes, this is planet Earth. And most of these people do terrible things. Like, humans, we're all different. But this planet is still worth fighting for. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about mankind. Existence is strong. Very strong themes for MCU film. And I love that aspect of it. I, I was happy to see it. And I think some of the dislikes come when there are clearly moments where Kevin Feige and some executives were like, hey, okay, you got to put this in there so it can be connected to the MCU. Those are the moments that will fall into my dislikes. And I might as well go into there. Uh, The dislikes for me is that there are clear instances where this film is going for comic relief and it doesn't fit in with the theme, the tone of the film at all. Like this film was meant to be a full-fledged drama. Of course, there's going to be humor in drama films sometimes, but there are moments like such as, for instance, Kumal's character. Um, they end up showing there's pretty much this montage where we get to meet all these terms and we see what we're what they're doing now in the current day. And Kumal is like this Bollywood star. And then there's this assistant cameraman that follows him and documents his life and documents the movies he works on. Then throughout the film, you keep seeing this cameraman guy, and he's clearly there just to crack jokes, be the guy in the background, be the one who scares the, the deviants. And it's a clear attempt at just a comic relief guy, and it feels out of place, and I don't really like it. And then there's also the moments where you they have to tie in like, hey, Thanos snapped the world in a in a snapped the world in half, or like, hey, what about Iron Man? Or hey, maybe I could run the Avengers. Like these moments, like it feels like almost like product placement. <laughs> it's like, hey guys, remember this is still Marvel, and hey, if you don't you know about the Eternals, but do you know about the rest of these other superheroes? And it it really kind of throws the seriousness of the film out of whack. Not enough to cause anybody to not have enjoyment or to feel bored or to feel like it's a missed opportunity but just enough to feel like okay hey it's the mcu and remember that otherwise i love this film i think this is one of the better mcu films we've had you know outside of the double tandem of infinity war endgame that we've had in the last few years i would say that shang chai from earlier this year is a little bit higher for me due to how how glorious it is as an origin story but this film shows that mcu when if they want to go and just be dramatic if they want to get dark if they want to um have something more than just capes superhero fights dazzling visual effects they can do it and chloe has proven you know that she can that she can make also superhero films she's very talented director and she's able to handle a big project like this well she's already won an oscar so is not something to say that the sky's the limit for her, but she can do anything. And I think she's going to have the power. She's going to have the world in her hands after this. That's awesome. I mean, I'm super glad to hear such a positive response from you because the overall, it's <laughs> I, it's really ridiculous. Like I saw on Rotten Tomatoes today that this is the lowest ranking fi- film in the MCU filmography oh. tied with Thor The Dark World. Oh my and God. I did wonder, like, 
is it because Chloe Zhao is making it like her other films? Like she's an indie director. She thrives on the slow, the dramatic, the emotional. And if she's making a film that like, how do you knock her for doing exactly what she does? Like she's coming in to do the thing she does. And I, I love that you pointed out, I, I can totally understand why more people have this issue with the film based on what you said that your dislikes were and how they weren't as much of a problem for you, but I can see why they would be a big problem for other people. And that is the forcing of like the marriage, the marriage of the dramatic with the typical quirky MCU action and, and set pieces. And like, it may not perfectly line up together in that way. And that would make sense. I did. Ha I saw one of our buddies who was saying like his 11 year old was just completely bored at times, like tapping his feet. And that, that does concern <laughs> me. That worries me because like, you know, that the MCU has set a standard and kids love it. And if kids go to this and for two and it's two and a half plus hours and think that they're going to sit down and get another Shang-Chi full of action and, and chaos and fun and they get these dramatic like conversation pieces, are they going to be OK with that? Where you and I may like maybe they won't. I don't know. This is where I feel that the film is going to suffer because I think the general audience is expecting another Spider-Man Far From Home. They're expecting an Iron Man. They're expecting like these kind of films, like a Thor Ragnarok, where you get that perfect blend of like action and then a lot of goofy humor that is much easier for a child's mind to digest. This film is dealing with like deep topics, like existentialism, is dealing with mankind, existence, human thought, human emotion. This is something that I would not take my kid really to watch in the theater because also it's 157 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as long as Dune is. And I, for me, for critics like us, we appreciate storytelling. We appreciate, you know, art house steals and everything like that. But I feel that for people who are expecting this to be just your typical superhero blockbuster, they're going to be disappointed. And I can't blame them for that. You kind of just have to go in expecting this to be Totally different from what you are usually expected from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, let's like translate that now. So it comes out on November the 5th. What's your overall recommendation then for folks? It, it, it's coming straight to theaters. There's no Disney Plus option. So what do you think they should do? Go watch this in a premium format, either Dolby Cinema or IMAX. Um, I, I, I know, you know, those are more expensive when it comes to tickets. But trust me, the cinematography in this film... It, it is mind-bogglingly gorgeous, and it will blow you away. And it's meant to be seen in those formats. So this is a it gets a strong recommendation for me. I would definitely go watch this in the theater. Good to hear, because since I was not able to get to the screening, I've already bought tickets for myself and my son to go see it in IMAX. Mm -hmm. He's older, so I figure you know he's not the the friend that my buddy was telling me about. His son was eleven. My son's almost 17, so I feel like he's more able to kind of accept the drama parts along with the the action. So the mixture is going to work better for him, I'm hoping. But we shall see opening night. Well, last but not least is our review of my review, I guess, of the next offering from the WBDC animated world. And that is Superman, the complete animated series on Blu-ray, the box set. It stars the voices of Tim Daly, Dana Delaney, Clancy Brown, and Corey Burton. If you're not familiar, what is it? Well, it's produced by Warner Brothers Animation. It won a bunch of Emmys, 
and it was very much in line with the Batman, the animated series that this followed. This kind of took the Man of Steel's animated presence and it reimagined it, reimagined it, reimagined it, it made it into like heartfelt uh, adventure for Superman over the course of 54 episodes. He fights villains like Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Darkseid, and more over the series. And of course, Lois Lane features prominently as well. The series premiered back on September 6, 1996, and it did win 11 Emmy Awards. Or I'm sorry, won two. It was nominated for 11 Emmy Awards over the course of its run. So this is a remastered version of the entire series. It is six discs. It is all 54 episodes. The picture quality is fantastic. The remaster uh, presents the episodes in their original 4-3 aspect ratio, which I really appreciated. I didn't want to see it stretched out. I wanted to see it the way that it was meant to be made. The colors are beautiful. They pop. So if you've seen the recent remasters of Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond on Blu-ray, you're going to have a great idea of what this is going to look like. It looks awesome. And if you are on the fence about upgrading from like your DVD version of this, I think that it's a no brainer to do so. It looks so much better than DVD quality. The sound look, uh, is great as well. It sounds awesome. The one thing that's interesting about this is you can watch these remastered episodes on HBO Max, but you won't get the extras. Overall, before I talk about the extras, I will say I think that the series itself is outstanding and really should be watched by anyone who's remotely a Superman fan. Now, I only rewatched a few episodes. I've seen some here and there over the course of my life. I watched a couple of episodes of this just to get an idea of the animation and the sound changes. Um, I didn't go through the whole 54 episodes in the last five days, but it really is a great series. It takes clark and it kind of adapts him for the animated world in a way that is really family friendly and i think is one of the better versions of superman that you can get and it's great because it's a series right it's not just a movie or two movies it's 54 episodes and you get this long-form storytelling and you get interesting villains like i mentioned lex luther you get metallo um, you get the introduction of a new character called Livewire who would go on to be in Smallville later on as well. It's just really well done and a really great adaptation of the comic book material that's worth seeing. The reason I've got to say 100% yes on go buy this, it's funny because you and I do this all the time. We get all the WBDC animated stuff and what do I always say? I'm like, give me more special features. You're putting out these movies for 20 plus bucks and you're giving me like one 15 minute featurette and a whole bunch of old episodes of a TV show, right? I don't care about that. This set kicks ass when it comes to special features. So there is a really detailed one called Superman Timeless Icon. It's a new featurette and it goes into the complicated journey of the show and how they created this new mythology for the Man of Steel. It's got the producers, the director, the writer. It's got casting director involved. It's got some of the voices of Superman and Lex Luthor are in there with comments. 
They've got another featurette called a little piece of trivia that's like uh, basically like a little trivia game for Superman trivia that I think fans are going to really enjoy. There's one called Superman Learning to Fly, which is just all about the creation of this and, and the creative team's kind of effort to when they first decided they were going to translate Superman into this animated format. There's Building the Mythology, Superman's supporting cast, which as you can imagine is a spotlight and in-depth look at all of the different supporting characters in the series. Then there's Menaces of Metropolis behind the villains of Superman, which as you can imagine is basically the same thing, but it's all about the rogues gallery, which is really cool. There's one called The Despot Darkseed, a villain worthy of Superman, which really focuses in on Darkseed, who is an overwhelming presence across the entire 54 episode run. Then on top of all of those featurettes, you have audio commentaries on like three or four of the episodes as well. And then there's a video commentary also on one of them. So I think that it is a super packed box set. It comes with the Blu-ray discs, as I mentioned, and then it also comes with the digital format to redeem. So it's a no-brainer, in my opinion. This is one that I would have zero uh, hesitation recommending to anyone that even remotely enjoys superhero animation. And if you're a Superman fan, I think it's a must-buy. Even if you're upgrading an old copy, even if you have HBO Max and could watch them, this is worth your money, I think. It's out now. So you can get it in a store, go for it, check it out, and enjoy. Well, that's it for us this week on FF+. Plus. We hope that you found something that piques your interest, as always, and we would love to hear from you. We like to talk, so you can find us on Twitter, at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic, or you can come join us in our Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group where we talk movies all day, every day. You can come join our Discord. All these links are in the show notes, but... Come find us, come be a part of the community, and talk movies, talk TV, talk entertainment with us. We'll be back soon, as usual. Until then, keep feeling Bill. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Phil, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.